Hello, everybody. This is Tyler and David on the podcast Generation Month. This is Alina, who is our guest today. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is Alina Golod. I'm a real estate attorney by day and real estate investor by night. So um, happy to be here. Okay, so we had a few questions that we wanted to ask you about your career and how you got started and all of that. So I wanted to ask you what important events or experiences did you have earlier that helped you start down the path towards where you are today? I guess it would help to know that I do have my own law practice. I'm a solo attorney. It's me and a paralegal and we focus our practice on real estate law, but that wasn't where my path started. And when I went to college, I actually thought I wanted to be a doctor. So that meant I needed to take a lot of science classes. So I majored in genetics and took a lot of sciences. And after I finished college, ended up working as a chemist at a chemical supplier company. And while it was very interesting and working Basically, we were working on trying to come up with new products for the shelves. For example, one of our clients was Estee Johnson, and we were working on putting together a window cleaner for outdoors that you could hook up to a hose and clean the windows with. So it was cool to be working on real products that people would use in the real world, but I wasn't passionate about it. And my boss and mentor at the time saw that and suggested that I look into going to law school. And she had met a, an attorney who became a patent attorney. She was a PhD chemist and at 53 decided to change her careers. <laughs> so wow. she, yes, she went to law school um, and became a patent attorney. And I thought that would be a great way for me to use my science background because to be a patent attorney, you have to be a have either a science background, engineering background, there's a list of backgrounds and classes you have to have taken in order to be able to be practicing in front of the patent office. So I thought that would be a great way to combine the two and that's what started me on the path to law school. So when I started law school I was still working as a chemist and going to school at night and for me that just felt like a natural fit. It seemed a lot easier than sciences, and I really enjoyed my classes and started working a little bit on the path to become a patent attorney. I took a patent bar to start practicing. I had a couple of summer associate positions, and then I realized that I really wasn't that passionate about doing patent work. One of the reasons I took a different path was because I really wanted to stay in Chicago. I, when I, after a summer in Washington, D.C., I realized that I really just wanted to be in the city of Chicago. And then the other thing is that I didn't know if patent work was really my passion. So I started doing other things. And one of the things was that my dad was in real estate. And he suggested that I start working on contract basis with a title company to help them with closings and title work. And that introduced me to the world of real estate and I never looked back. <laughs> so so um, what is the main difference? A lot of people think of lawyers and attorneys and they think like of 
one kind of big group, but as you're yeah. saying it, they're very different. What are the differences then between a real estate attorney, a patent lawyer, stuff like that? It's funny because when people think about doctors, people really understand that there's different specialties, right? So you're not going to go to a dermatologist if you have, need a brain surgery. <laughs> and so people know more about different aspects of doctors. But in law, it's similar in a way that you can't know everything, right? So you need to focus on whatever you're most interested in and learn the law which is always changing because the law is changing with every new case that appeals or go to Supreme Court. So you have to be constantly learning and updating your knowledge as to what the current rules are. So each area is more specialized. So it's uh, very, in all honesty, like I wish there was more of a residency, like with the doctors where you can practice with an attorney and kind of figure out what areas might be of interest and whatnot. It's rare that you have that opportunity. It's more like if you can get a clerkship, you can learn about that specific area of law, but it's outside of just taking a class in law school, it's difficult to know what might be of interest, what each area of law entails. But it's important to whatever you choose to learn, whatever it is needs to, you need to know about it to do well to represent your client with, clients. Or so going back to the idea that you didn't know that you wanted to be a lawyer, looking back, do you think there were any skills from high school and college that might have been a really good starting place or where people saw in what people saw in you that said, hey, she could be a really good lawyer or she can be a lawyer. She might have interest in it. I, I don't know specifically. I felt that I was really good at math, but writing wasn't. It was hard, but it wasn't something that I would put off. Like it's, I, I enjoyed it to a certain extent, but sciences were always a lot more difficult for me than social sciences. So taking a physics class, I took AP physics in high school and I got a good enough grade to never have to take physics ever in my life again. <laughs> and I was really happy about that. So sciences was not necessarily my strong suit. And I don't know if exactly what I could have done differently to learn about my strengths and weaknesses earlier on. Life took me on a particular path and I don't regret it, <laughs> but I'm glad that I ended up in, in law school and that seemed like it suit my abilities better than anything else. And I've enjoyed being an attorney. That's really interesting, talking about your high school and college experience with law and everything, and what got you started, but what other hobbies do you have that are related to law that you do on the side of your attorney work or other hobbies? It doesn't have to be related to law, just in general. In general, I love going to live concerts and... I think you've known about that uh, passion of mine as I've dragged you to a lot of <laughs> shows to experience it with me. But currently I am a real estate investor and I'm learning to exploring multifamily investing. So trying to learn as much as I can about what's involved, 
what does it take? What kind of team do you need? What knowledge is necessary? What aspects of multifamily investing are interesting to me? Because like in any area, there's different things you can be doing. There's looking for the properties, then underwriting, which means researching how this, what are the expenses on the property? How is it bringing money? Is there a way to improve it so that the property investment can bring more money? Or it could be maybe raising money with other investors or maybe exploring or maintaining relationships with investors. So there's different aspects of the process that I'm trying to explore. And really, I think what's important to understand is no matter what career path you choose, it's never written in stone. It's always evolving. And it's important to listen to your own feelings and thinking and follow whatever interest you may have. So it's, for me, I love real estate. So I'm trying to explore other aspects of real estate. I love doing real estate law too. And there's aspects of real estate law that I haven't explored. So there's a lot of things out there that I want to keep learning about and keep researching and uh, trying to get my feet in different areas. So as you mentioned, one of your passion is real estate. Are there any skills that you have learned from this investing side that you've been learning that has influenced your current law practice how the way things you've learned and also vice versa what do you take from your law practice that you realize is really helpful now in learning how to invest sure great question david and i'm gonna take the second part of it first in the sense that because my law practice is in real estate i felt like investing was more of a natural transition because I work with investors and I work with people who are interested and passionate about real estate. That aspect of it is really fun. And having a legal background, I know certain aspects of real estate that give me a different perspective from a regular investor. I work with a lot of lenders. I know the process they have to go through, although it can be very different going through a residential lending process versus a commercial lending process. In real estate, there's so many different aspects. So having that background absolutely will help me to be a better investor, more knowledgeable investor, and bringing a different understanding to the table. As far as the other way around, I'm, I'm not sure yet. I'm not sure how real estate would help me with the legal side of things, except to meeting other investors that may need legal services in the Chicago land area. But I think the most important skill that I'm, I'm still learning and for everybody to learn is, is people skills. And really it's all about relationships, whether it's the law side of things or real estate of side of things, it's all about the relationships you have with clients, with potential clients, with coworkers, with colleagues, with investors, whoever it may be, having good relationships with people and maintaining those relationships, I feel is really the key to whatever path uh, you want to take. Yeah. Like we talked earlier, you said that how 
you along with many other business owners, entrepreneurs, they don't really have a set schedule that they're more spontaneous because if you really like what you do, nothing is work. So you just keep working. But is there any sort of uh, schedule that you set? For example, I, you have to deal with a lot of people. Do you set hours saying, hey, in the morning, I'll do most of my meetings and I set aside this other set of time to do paperwork and stuff like that? So that's a skill I'm still working on. <laughs> I've been exploring block scheduling for quite some time, and I think it will help me in general to be more focused on that. But it's really difficult because I get a lot of emails all the time. So the challenge is to, if I'm focused on writing a response letter, to stay focused on that and not look at the emails that are coming in and it's like, oh, that email is going to take just two seconds to respond. And then you're really focused, just taking elsewhere. So then it takes more time to come back to whatever you're doing. Scheduling part, I'm still working on. A lot of the scheduling is dictated if I'm scheduling and closing. So scheduling and closing, for example, when somebody's buying or selling a property involves both sides, buyer and a seller coming to the table at the same time at a title company, which is basically a company that provides insurance for title. And also they act as an escrow agent, which means they collect all the documents and all the monies from everybody and then distribute it according to the settlement statement, whoever is supposed to get paid. For example, seller, of course, will get the money for the house and the buyer has to bring money in for the house. And then the lender for the buyer, if the buyer has a lender. So all these people have to come together at one time, at exact time, at the same location, and make this transaction happen. In that sense, the scheduling has to be a little flexible. With COVID, actually, it's been changing a little bit, but there are certain rules that are effective in Illinois that make it important for the buyer to be at the closing table. The lenders require the buyer to sign all documents using, they call it wet signatures. What that means is that you take a pen and you actually sign with a pen as opposed to digitally through a company that allows you to sign through a computer. So because of that, the buyer still has to be at the closing table and the lender still has to make all the documents available for them at that point in time. Part of my time is taken up in coordinating that and making sure I'm available at the time that I need to be available. The other parts, if I have a client that I'm working with, of regular jobs. Maybe they have to be available with their employer at nine to five times. So my job is a little more flexible. So I try to make myself available evenings or weekends when my clients can reach me and we can have a conversation about what their needs are, what they're looking to do, what so that I can represent them a little better. So sometimes it can be a little more nine to five, sometimes not, but it's flexible where I can make it in a way so that it suits my lifestyle a little more. So I have time during the day to do something else. For example, if it's real estate related, maybe I take two hours to go look at the property that I'm looking and buying versus doing attorney work. But then the work still needs to be done. So it can be just done at a different time. So you just have, you have the same work, just a little more flexibility in when you want to do things. That's right. <laughs>
Before we move on, please don't forget to subscribe to Generation Money wherever you get your podcasts. If there's anything you would like us to talk about or for us to add to the podcast, please let us know. Without further delay, back to the podcast. What setbacks have you experienced in both investing in real estate, your properties that uh, you might currently own, or your real estate attorney work with closings and buys and sells? How have you adapted to overcome those setbacks? Yeah, so initially when everything got closed down and we couldn't do anything, couldn't go anywhere, that was really scary time because while attorney work was still considered essential and technically real estate was considered essential so we could continue our work, people were scared and things some people were losing jobs and still might not have gained them back. So it really affects, all of that has trickle down effect. So in April and May, there were really not a lot of closings happening just because of that. And then as people got used to the situation and settled in, okay, for now my job, I can feel confident about. So more people were feeling more confident about their jobs. So they said, okay, I can maybe buy a house. Or some people decided that they were living in a high-rise condo and maybe this was the time for them to make a decision to move and buy a house where they don't have to be as aware of everybody around them in terms of possibly getting sick and, and such. So some people have made the move because of that. But in reality, with real estate right now, it just seems not a lot of inventory, which means not a lot of people want to sell. So there's lots of people who want to buy, not a lot of people who want to sell. So it creates a lot of demand for housing. So the housing prices tend to go up. So it makes it less affordable. A lot of different aspects in that sense. Mm -hmm. And for my day-to-day, for a period of time when everything was closed down, there's documents in real estate transaction that have to be notarized. So what that mean is, means is there's a person who is licensed to be a notary and they basically take somebody's sworn statement and put their stamp to it that this person sworn to me that the statement is true and this is what they intend to do. The notaries have to be in person in Illinois. There's a few states that have accepted online notarization, but that hasn't happened here. So for a period of time, actually the governor had an order that allowed the notaries to be able to notarize documents remotely. It's no longer the case anymore. Maybe this will prompt a change in law that will allow things to happen more remote than they were in the past. So events like this can cause a change or speed up a change that was already happening. And we'll see what happens here. <laughs> you use a uh, notary as an example. Are there any other responsibilities, I would say, as a real estate attorney that you think is important for your job or that people should know about if they want to become a real estate attorney? <laughs> There's a lot of responsibilities as an attorney period. Yeah. So when somebody is buying a home or sell any home, that's one of their largest investments, right? And we're, we're talking about residential, not necessarily commercial, but 
it's a big investment. It's probably the biggest purchase of somebody's life. I carry the weight of their responsibility to make sure that their rights are protected, make sure that nobody can come down. That's where title insurance comes in too, make sure that everything that needs to be paid is paid, that there's no money owed to anybody else that could come in and say, wait a second, you owe me money and this buyer has nothing to do with this person, but because there was a lien, it's called a lien against real estate, maybe that money is owed or maybe there is somebody else who has some title, possibly ownership to the property that could claim ownership. So you want to make sure that all of that is protected. So those are important aspects um, of a real estate transaction, making sure that buyers and sellers have this third party that kind of searches the background of the property and make sure there's nothing they can come in and cause a problem down the road for a buyer. But a huge part of my job is also negotiating and figuring out what's important to my clients, what aspects of a contract are important to them so that when negotiating with the seller, for example, we can come to an agreement, things that are important to the seller may, may not be important to the buyer. So maybe there's a win-win situation where an agreement can be reached. It doesn't even have to be monetary. It could be just a date that the closing needs to happen that accommodates both parties. So really working with people and trying to find win-win situations and negotiating, mm -hmm. I would say. Building on uh, the idea to tell the young people what uh, they should know, is there any uh, specific activities or hobbies that you think would be good for young people to practice? Anything from just practicing, talking to people, negotiating, or something a little bit more specific relating to real estate or being an attorney? Really, you nailed it on the head in the sense that creating relationships with people is the most important thing in whatever um, you decide to do because it's in any career, any path you take, working with people, being able to work with people while negotiating, and maintaining relationships, those are supremely important. So anything that helps you be better at that, and you can never be an expert, but you can always get better. So to learn more and get better at that is, I think would be really important, really useful. So any activities that, you know, what we're doing today, really talking to people, interviewing skills, just being curious. I think it's really important to be curious about people, about their path, about what's interesting to them. And when you're genuinely, authentically curious about that, people can feel that. They know that. Just when, when they say when you're talking to somebody on the phone, you should be smiling because <laughs> the person listening to you can hear you smile. It sounds weird, but it's true. We are so attuned to each other, we can feel and hear a lot more intrinsically than we consciously give ourselves credit for. Now that we've gone in deep into your practice and your real estate investing, I wanted to ask you, what are a few recommendations that you have that you would give to young entrepreneurs who are trying to start their own real estate business, their own practice, or start investing in real estate? So these are slightly different paths if 
you want to become a real estate attorney, obviously it's important to get a college degree, go to law school, get a law degree, and then you can start on, on that path. And in terms of real estate in general, there's a lot more you can do at a very young age. In fact, you can become a real estate agent. I believe the law in Illinois has been changed so that you can become a real estate agent at the age of 18. Mm. So if real estate is really something that interests you, you can really get started early and find those relationships that can help you grow. And finding a mentor, being curious is really the key. But you're not going to be going to a mentor and saying, hey, can, I, can you help me do this or can you help me grow? Because people have their own lives, people have their own careers. So what's important is to find something that you can offer this person who you want to be a mentee of, whether it's time or some other skill, what is it that you can offer so that a mentor has a desire to help you and guide you in whatever process, whatever area you're looking to get into. So that applies to anything, not just law or real estate, but keeps coming back to having relationships with people and being curious and being giving. If you're giving of your time, giving of your efforts, people see that and they want to give back. But you can't have an expectation. You just want to give because you want to give. You want to be sharing of yourself and your time and that comes back tenfold. If you just, you want the community, you want the experience and that comes before the money and everything else. Everything else is secondary and be successful and whatever you do, if you surround yourself with the people that you help, that want to help you, it's just creating a community, then they'll be there for you. Thank you so much for coming and joining us on the podcast. It was great having you. Thank you so much for having me. And that's the end of the episode. Before you leave, if you're in high school and are interested in business, economics, and or entrepreneurship, please check out the Junior Economic Club, also known as JEC, at junioreconomicclub.org. Tyler and I are both members, and they organize amazing events where you can learn a lot and meet other like-minded students. If you're a current professional and would like to share your own experiences and tips, please contact us at david at junioreconomicclub.org or tyler at junioreconomicclub.org. Both emails will be linked down in the description below. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast or a topic, please let us know. We would love to hear your thoughts. Anyhow, that's all for now. See you next time.